Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Hey guys, this is Ruben Dua from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. I am on with String Win, and we are going to talk about this idea of being an influence. And I connect influence to impact and to affecting positive change. So uh, String, you are the expert at this. Um, you have worked at multiple firms that has done stuff like this, and obviously it's very evolving. Please give us a little short bio on yourself, and then let's get into the topic. Uh, my name is String, and I always start with my mum. She's a credit to who I am today. And it's recently my birthday, so every time I celebrate a birthday, I always think about my mum. And uh, as a, she escaped the war from Vietnam, um, and she's super resourceful, so she chucked us in the library. So the library was like my Google version, but that's like where my hunger for knowledge came about. And that's where like I realized that internet was a foray of connecting with people. So I feel like influence for me is just another word for connections. Yeah, well, that that's so true, because at the end of the day, I mean, that's truly what we're building. We're, we're building connections, long lasting, you know, business, sometimes friendship, friendly relationships. I mean, these are all business and, fr- and friendship have all become one now. We spend yes. more time with our work with our work people. Right. Yeah. That's, right. So uh, like what? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to say, because like it didn't look back to what I do today. And that's the trusted voice is a startup that I established a year and a bit ago to help other thought leaders and brands build up their influence online. Especially with COVID now, we need to have a digital footprint because our connections is more online than ever. So how do you build up these connections and influence online so then um, your trust factor is able to convert to your product, your service, to your mindset, to your thinking, to your community? You need to start having that influence online now. Mm. I recently had a conversation with someone and they were talking about how sometimes it's it's hard to get people's attention. It's hard to get email responses. It's hard to get phone calls back. And, you know, what was going through my mind is, you know, how much impact does this person have? You know, how much influence do they have? You know, when, when, they, when someone else receives a message from them, does that person feel like they are maybe fortunate, maybe that they are in the company of, of goodness? And that as a result, they should probably return the phone call. Um, you know, unfortunately, we do live in a world where if people don't necessarily feel that influence, they might ignore the person, which is really unfortunate and maybe inconsiderate. But the fact of the matter is that it, it is real life and that there is so much noise around us and we're, we're surviving, we're thriving. And as a result, sometimes that means that we need to look in directions <laughs> that are maybe more mutually beneficial. My first question for you is, how can we get into this idea of making an impact, but also growing our, our influence at the same time? Mm, I think um, what I've noticed is a transitional change from LinkedIn has been part of this conversation of this trend where professionals are becoming content creators. Mm-hmm. Because we, so professionals, especially experts and domain expertise and thought leaders, they're doing it already with their books, with speaking gigs, but again, COVID has shifted everything entirely. And they realize that 
then they don't have any visibility online. So that it's almost like they have to create a backlog of trust and expertise within a short period of time. When in many ways, I feel like that uh, if they became content creators a year ago or two years ago, they have a leg up compared to people who are competing now. And these are two people with 20 years of expertise, but one is uh, has already started building their digital footprint online. So who do you think you will trust? The person who has a digital footprint online when you connect with them or someone who's just started building their digital footprint online? Well, I, I would add to that and say that if I, the first thing I always do when I want to connect with someone is I go on their LinkedIn profile and I go look for a video that they've done because that's just like having a conversation with them. I can hear them communicate and I can hear their, maybe get a general idea of what their, what their thesis is about. And as a result, that builds trust, you know, and that, that makes me want to have a, a connection with them or, you know, explore opportunities, create content, whatnot. So uh, I, I completely agree with you. You know, this, the thing about LinkedIn is that it started out as a digital resume and now it's become one of the best social networks out there. The most engagement, the most community, um, the most education that might be happening, maybe second to YouTube, maybe not. Um, and as a result, you know, all these amazing connections are, are being made. Uh, my my question for you is, you know, how do you how do you get started? Um, like where do you start? There's all sorts of issues that people face when they're getting started with being a creator. How do you get over those? Oh, get over yourself, <laughs> actually, because like we have this internal dialogue in our head that stops us all the time. And we, I think the the best mindset to have is that you share what you learn mm. instead of like saying, "Hey, I'm the best." which is doesn't really add value. I, I strive to be the best actually, um, but I don't do it in a way to say, look at me, I'm awesome, look at me, I deserve to be in this spot. That's an entitled feeling. But what I do share is, hey, this works, this doesn't work. And share what you learn is probably the best way to add value because they know that they come to you seeing, oh, this person's um, really sharing great insightful insights. And I could relate to this person. And I guess it, it depends on the personality because a lot of people, are, and I sell online. I'm selling myself online. Sharing value, sharing connections, uh, sharing great insights. These like, you know, um, I feel like that's what, you know, if you're starting creating content online or on LinkedIn, you just start creating and writing. And your first post will be probably be horrible, especially if you're not a professional writer in the first place. Um, just a little bit of backstory. Uh, I almost failed in English because I have a. I came from a non-English background. Um, English is technically my second language because mum taught. I learned speaking Vietnamese, but I grew up in a uh, learning English, so I, I kind of like have a different way of thinking. But I learned that it's not about typos or grammars or perfection in writing. It's actually conveying your key message more effectively. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I, I became less stressed about typos. And I get free editors along the way because they want to reach out to me. And then I realized my, when I like do typos or editing or grammar mistakes, people are just reaching out to me and correcting it because they wanted me to, to succeed. But also I think it's giving them permission to reach out and talk to me. Got it. So, so it's all, it's almost like that's, that's a great uh, metaphor almost in that, you know, micro flaws create connections with people. Yeah, they do. And fried chicken too. Cause that's what I do. I get, it's like, um, 
people, especially when you're creating so much content, I realized like people are looking for ways to connect with me. So I use it as inbound. And that's why um, I'm not so precious about my typos and stuff like that because I do it deliberately. And people's like, are you doing that deliberately? It's like, no, I just want to push out more content. Truthfully, I just want to push out more content because mm. volume is a game that you have to play on LinkedIn. So how much is too much? If you're posting, if you only have like less than 30,000 connections and you're posting 10 times a day, that's too much. It's not Twitter. <laughs> and what, what was your, what was your recommended, recommended amount be? If you, if you really legitimately want to grow your, your, your presence on LinkedIn. If you have 1000 connections, posting daily would like pretty much saturate that volume. Right. Um, and I'm posting almost like daily. Uh, high quality content because I know that every time I post something it's of a standard that I'm happy with that would continually help me to grow and position me and mm -hmm. right and then what would you how would you qualify uh quality content what are some of the pieces of content that you like to put out there So this is, this is a question that, that I actually get a lot, uh, where what, what are the types of, of content that you should really put out there? And what, some of the stuff that I believe in are, you know, long form podcasts, I think are, they're risky, you know, putting a, well, the max on LinkedIn is 10 minutes, in fact. Um, but to put snippets of content, I find a lot more value in that, um, you know, taking a long form conversation and then turning it into a 60 second two minute video that's just a lot more breathable caption text is really important because then people can read it if they have the sound off um what kind of stuff what kind of stuff are you putting out there and i actually think we lost your audio so you might have to you might have to re rewire yourself <laughs> so yeah so you so uh okay so the question is this the question is you know, what type of content to put out there? Um, you know, I think podcast conversations, I think carousels on LinkedIn are extremely valuable. You know, I think any type of, you know, text-based posts on LinkedIn are really good. Um, the, the, thing, the thing that I've been A-B testing constantly is uh, text posts versus image posts on LinkedIn. And it's just this ongoing A-B test that I've been doing. And I don't, I don't have a verdict for it yet, but I know that sometimes video does not actually perform better than text and or images. So I, I don't know if, I don't know if people have, have noticed that as well, but I think it's really good to continually test the algorithm on LinkedIn and just to figure out, Hey, listen, if I put a carousel, how's that going to do? If I put an image, how's that going to do? If I put text only, how's that going to do? And then the other thing is mentioning. Oh, I find polls to do incredibly well in, in terms of engagement. Polls. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I think I've done one poll. <laughs> you um, should do you should do more because it's like four big buttons. Ah. And you know when you click on four big buttons or one button, it brings up the engagement. So I recommend that you make the most of the real estate or polls, but um make it so it's like so easy for people to respond to. You don't want them to overthink that you just want to make it easy question, easy A, B, C, D. So they could like click on it straight away mm. and make them curious enough to contribute to it as well. It's a, it's a, actually a great conversion tool. One of my members of the trusted circle, which is like um, a membership of the trusted voice, uh, did a poll uh, 
with a webinar name. Say, hey, I'm running a webinar. Which topics are you super interested in? And he did personal branding, uh, sales, and another one, and other. And uh, he got a lot of hits with personal branding, and he had like 200 people registered for this webinar. Mm. So is there a world where you can use a poll to promote something else? Or do you recommend, um, I guess it's a larger question, really, you know, external links, I'll just start there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, controversy about putting external links in social posts. In fact, some people say, do not do it, put it in the comments. Um, a lot of people say, um, generally speaking, your LinkedIn posts or social media posts should not even ever try to drive traffic away from LinkedIn. The algorithm doesn't like that. It's not going to be good for your overall brand. It might come off as salesy. Um, what is your take on that? Uh, why are people so afraid to sell something when we're selling all the time? We're selling ourselves online all the time. Well, the answer to that is that if I make my post too salesy on LinkedIn, then the algorithm is going to say, oh, well, there's an external link. This is going to get less visibility. And at the end mm -hmm. of the day, I might not get as much engagement. Yeah. Um, I guess like if you want engagement, it's like always at the end of the day, it's always like about the goals and metrics that you want to achieve. So each post that you have to do is like, uh, should be focus on the overall goal objective that you want to achieve. But also just note that every time you do put a link in there, it does contribute to lowering your reach. Mm. But the first thing that you need to do before you think about that stuff is like, do you have the right engagement happening with your community first? Yeah. Do they, every time you post, do they organically go in there and contribute to the conversation? Just yeah. in general. Mm -hmm. And what are, what are some of the things that you've kind of picked up or learned along the way? What do, how do people like to consume content on LinkedIn? What are some of the best tips that you might be able to give people? You mentioned polls, which is, which is fabulous. What else? And written status posts, uh, I find I've been looking after other people's accounts and status posts, 200 words, only written, do the best. First line should be polarizing title. Think of it as clickbait or think of them as um, your title of your email subject line or your title of your uh, blog posts. It should be polarizing and attention grabbing because the first two lines are what people see. Uh, optimized form and then have a very strong call to action too because people write passively too so a tone that I noticed like non-professional writers do and I don't call myself a professional writer uh, I'm more of a content writer that focuses on engagement and I noticed that um, writing in present tense not passive like as if you're reading a uh, writing as if you're having a conversation with that person right now right then helps a lot and when you say status post, what does that mean? Status post, like status on a project or a status post is what I call like you know how like um, Twitter has what's what are you doing? Hmm. That's what I call status post. Like LinkedIn has that too, and everyone calls it post, but I call them status post because there's an article. There's so many written forms of articles and types of art, uh, of content that you could deliver. I feel like you could deliver like about eight pieces of content. On LinkedIn, like eight different types: the PDF, polls, oh, videos, right. GIFs, status posts, like status posts, articles. That you have so many variety of it that you, you just realize, like, oh, you could do so many things on LinkedIn with just by thinking about the cadence of the conversation and what you need to push out to build up your influence as well. Mm. And that's what. And everyone always hits this like weird one note, but that's not how people 
think or engage or have conversation with people. You need to like be super excited one day and then go chill and have a bit of a breather. But then you hit them with something else interesting as well. So it's not like I'm excited, excited or uh, think of it in terms of as if you're talking to someone and you're controlling the conversation. So I think uh, I think really what you're talking about is is more conversations. In fact, more casual connections, casual content, um, less on the you know maybe corporate, maybe stuffy stuff that's overproduced. You know, I think I think what people struggle with on this on this front is that it starts to feel like a little bit of a diary. You know, and it requires a certain level of vulnerability to share some things that are happening in our life at the true vulnerable level. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people have their guard up, you know, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing from a survival perspective, you know, one could argue it. But um, how can how can we attain a healthy balance of vulnerability to be able to 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 really share a true status update? Well, I feel like I'm again, it's just sharing what you feel is real to you and is authentic to you. And that usually aligns with your value systems. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you're doing something against your value system, of course it's going to feel like crap. Uh, and I think that the best way to approach it is you don't have to share everything because that's the victim mentality that you don't want to convey or the desperation that you want to convey, but do it in a way that people don't mind vulnerability, but also you could say, hey, I'm feeling like this, but I, I overcame it by doing this, which is what I've seen works really well on LinkedIn because people don't want to hear, it's like, oh, I have a bad day because you're contributing to their bad day as well by giving that bad vibes. Um, it's just like, it's, it's like going to a party. Not everyone is switched on, but there are people who are switched on and they tend to have the most attention, right? the same thing on LinkedIn and other social platforms. You want to like follow people that are switched on and are willing to have those conversations. And if you want to be vulnerable, you can, but you need to do it in a way that is authentic to your brand and your values. And when you do one post that's off brand, people get would pick up on that unconsciously as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think and if you want to do vulnerability, I love to know your vulnerability, actually, Ruben. Have you, like, being a dad, is is that a vulnerability or is that being a proud moment of being a dad? Uh, it is It is most definitely not a vulnerability for me. In fact, it's it's it gives me purpose. It gives me motivation. Um, my videos with my kids in them are the funnest for me. I don't forget about the engagement. People love cute kids. It's all, it's all good. But it's just fun for me because it's an integration of, of like, personal life and professional life because I don't, I don't really have a... A difference in them it's just life for me you know um you know i work with my kids sometimes we're sitting right next to them we have fun we take breaks and whatnot um you know i think vulnerability from my perspective is you know i think the first thing is 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 talking about failures in the most honest way possible and you know i don't mean failure from in a glorified silicon valley sense where i put you know for failure on my Lamborghini license plate. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the aftermath, you know, the, um, the familial, the financial, the health, you know, all the things that, that happen to a person as a result of being a startup founder, taking risk, 
making investments, doing something that's different, being creative, taking the path less taken, you know? And uh, those stories, I think, are the hardest to share because a lot of people don't want to share the moments where, you know, they were sleeping in a car, they were homeless, they were kicked out of a house, they were, um, they lost their health, you know, they got addictions, you know, um, depression. And I think it's because, like, we don't regularly celebrate those moments. Mm. I was talking to Daniel about it and it's like, oh, we should be celebrating those moments because that's part of the package of the founder journey or the entrepreneurial journey of crafting our own skill sets of mastery. And those are very relatable human stories because that's what connects us is when we have those highs and those lows. But no one wants to share the lows because everyone only share the shiny parts. But right. they, you have to think about the shiny parts. Is like what did we need to do to create that shiny moment? Because only people only see that moment, but they don't see the the bits, the the grunt, the grind, the uh, the things that we have to give up, the things we the lowest point in our life, but that kind of shapes us to who we are today. And I feel like it's celebrating those moments of being human. And I think it's because like people don't celebrate them because I think it's a shame. Like you be should be ashamed that we slept on the streets or inside our cars or lost our homes. Like those are shameful moments. Yeah, you know, especially um, to some cultures. You know, in some cultures, it's it's worse than others. I would say, and when I say cultures, I mean that from an ethnic perspective, but I also just mean it from a familial perspective. Um, based on a different tribe, you know, um, you know, coming from the South Asian background, coming from having parents that are immigrants that came to this country in the 70s, um, based on merit and merit alone. You know, um, you know, I'm the product of of overachievers, you know, and I'm the product of people that have jumped through a lot of hoops to get where they did in their lives. And with that comes a certain level of expectation of, of excellence, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, on one hand, you know, someone can play a victim card and they can say, well, you know, I, I'm never good enough or I can never fill the shoes of someone or I can never be the best that this person was or be better than this person. But, you know, I sort of have realized in my years that, uh, you know, the opportunity is gratitude, really having gratitude for whatever it is that you have and that you've received and the struggle being the best part of it. Because without that, you know, I, I, I would not be running a company that has 30,000 clients from all over the world. I'd be not running this company if I didn't have gratitude and then lean into my struggle, you know? And that's a pretty amazing that despite everything and the path, your parents pretty much gave you a path. It's like, hey, you should go this path because it's going to be your best stability. But you went yeah. and did something else entirely. And yeah. they probably thought you were a weeder. And it's like, you could have get, gotten an easy way and just have stability. And as a daughter of an immigrant myself, she craved stability. And so she thought I was a bit of an anomaly doing something entirely different because mm. everyone else, she, in, as a parent, they love to brag, especially my mom, she likes to go around and brag about the success of her kids and, and and so I did that but also did something else entirely like I graduated from university and did my own thing but um, now she has like um, uh, parents or like her friends going around it's like oh I saw string Susie that's like my name 
um, doing some amazing things with Lenovo and things. And then she's like, oh, really happy and chuffed that they see what I'm doing as well. She doesn't get what I'm doing, but she knows that people are talking about me. <laughs> well, I mean, I think every Asian, uh, you know, comedian comic has a bit on, you know, what what do parents think that is uh, success for their kids? It's doctor, <laughs> lawyer. I don't know if engineers on that list anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, like a fintech uh, engineers is still quite lucrative. It's yeah. like a stability job. It's like so. My mom wanted me to be a doctor, and it's like, uh, and I'm like, oh, I can't handle it. I don't yeah. even like blood. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Well. Well, this was a great conversation. Um, what? Uh, where can people learn more about you? You know, your social handles, LinkedIn, website address. Uh, the website is the trusted voice, especially if you're a leader looking to build up your brand visibility online. And especially if you're a B2B, because I feel like a B2B leader should start thinking about their digital footprint now, especially on LinkedIn. That's because all these decision makers are on them. Uh, and String Story, I'm pretty much on YouTube, I'm growing my YouTube channel, Twitter, but I'm really dope on LinkedIn. That's where my, most of my engagement is happening and my conversations are happening. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think we're we're in this we're in the same spot. That hence hence our connection. So yeah, we pretty much can. Uh, Ruben has reached out to me on LinkedIn, so it, it's kind of obvious where all my co conversations and podcast requests is from LinkedIn most of the time. Mm, yeah, mine too, for sure. Yeah. How was, how was the experience for you? I mean, I know that you and I played uh, what we're calling, you know, calendar, calendar tag. But... <laughs> he giggled when I said that because he's like, oh, that's my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I love how you said it because it's honestly one of the most inspiring things for me um, behind Dub, you know, behind this idea of the reason why calendar bookings don't have, don't happen a lot of the times is because people get busy, which is understandable. Ultimately, there's reservations. I'm not quite ready. Let me just let that email kind of sink down. And then another one is just, it's a pain in the butt because there's just constant back and forth. Is Tuesday at 10 o'clock avail is available for you? Well, is that Pacific time? Is that Australia time? You know, there's so much sort of banter that's kind of unnecessary, you know, which is why we have built um, a lot of tech, like our calendar integrations on Dub. So um, I know the struggle. <laughs> yeah, I know. This, I was looking at it and it's like, um, I really like it, but I haven't had the experience of like utilizing video outreach like the way you you have because I've been using video more like a social tool for yeah. inbound mm -hmm. and I'm getting a lot of organic conversations just by doing that. Um, but I feel like uh, anyone should probably, it's a smart approach where you have more two channels if you can handle the bandwidth where you do inbound and outreach at the same time. Yeah, well said, well said. Well, String, thank you so much for your time. Um, stick around a couple minutes and I'll share some notes with you. Yes, awesome. Thanks again.